Hello and welcome to this week's Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I hope you're having a beautiful day. I do apologize for those of you that have been liking the short little vignettes. Uh, I will get back to putting them up on TikTok, on Instagram, and on the YouTube channel. I... (laughs) It's... So I had quite a busy week, uh, early on in the week, I believe it was Tuesday, we, uh, we got a call that my mother-in-law would be visiting on Thursday. Uh, now, believe me, I've, I've enjoyed every moment with my mother-in-law. She is a sweet and dear woman. This is actually the first time I'm getting to meet her in person. Uh, I've, I've been married to my wife, Ariana, lovely woman, just, just a few months shy of two years. Our anniversary is Halloween. So just four months, four months away, and we'll be celebrating our second year anniversary. But being that Ariana is from the Bahamas, doesn't make it easy to travel back and forth. So even though it was very short notice, it was a very pleasant surprise but as you can imagine, we were quite busy getting ready for all of it. I, I do hope you understand. Uh, Ariana's mother will be with us for another week. After that, those short little vignettes, they should return. Uh, maybe if I find time, I'll even pop one or two up this week. Thank you so much for your understanding. And now, on to this week's stories. If you are not listening to Dave Schrader, you are really, really missing out. I always thought that Dave Schrader should have been the guy that replaced Art Bell. Uh, I'll leave a link to his YouTube channel uh, up on the Facebook page. Dave Schrader is amazing. The Paranormal 60, incredible show. Man, just... Dave Schrader is everything I wish I could be. But the man is just, he's passionate about the paranormal. He's hes really skilled at being a broadcaster and a journalist and an investigator. He's really a renaissance man of the paranormal. Uh, Dave Schrader, he recently received a letter from an anonymous man. Now this this man, he, he said he was a U.S. Special Forces operative, and he went on this mission back in the 1990s. Uh, they, they went into North Carolina, high country, western North Carolina, and they kind, they kind of thought what they were being put in there for was a joke, really. It was... It seemed a little ridiculous to him. These men, they sit down in a briefing room. And these agents come in. And they go, your assignment is to go in and eliminate a group of aggressive killer Bigfoot in North Carolina. Of course, they think this is some sort of joke, maybe even a psyop, right? But this guy's friend, who was on the team with him, Native American, not scared of anything, 
he's he's white with fear. And they're showing these men slides of what these Bigfoots did to people. Adults, children, even vehicles and homes. And his buddy, he looks at him and he goes, This is bad. This is this is really, really bad. The men finally arrive in this little tiny town. The sheriff comes out to meet them. And he goes, I I have never been so happy to see the Calvary since I've been in Korea. Sheriff's words, not mine. He takes these soldiers around, shows them all these places that these hairy, wild creatures destroyed this, destroyed that. Here's here's where he here's where this thing killed this woman. Here's where they killed this group of people. The witness he looks over at his Native American friend and he said he's just absorbing everything he can. His friend is really really scared. That's that's when his his buddy he turns to him and says you know, I always thought my grandfather was just telling me scary stories about he and his brothers whenever they fought the wild men. You you kind of wonder if if maybe that's why this man, the friend, was chosen for this. Because he has an ancestral link to this. The soldiers go out about 2 p.m., by by 4 p.m., just two hours later, they're finding a huge number of tracks. And they start tracking these creatures. They kind of find that there's about seven different sets of tracks. So they figure there's at least seven individual Bigfoot. 7.30 p.m. It's, it's getting dark. It's almost dark. The point man of this group, he stops. He speaks into the headset. I see one. It's huge. The lieutenant gets back to him. He goes, if you have the shot, take it. So that's what the soldier does. He takes the shot, hits this Bigfoot in the chest with a 7.62 millimeter round. And they said this creature acted like a mosquito bit him. It turns around, lets out this ear-shattering roar. Point man switches to full auto. The creature finally drops after taking 10 7.62 millimeter rounds. 10 shots to the chest. That's what drops him. The lieutenant makes contact with the agents, said, hey, we dropped one. And the agents radio back in and go, we want one alive. And the lieutenant, after seeing this, goes, no, no, you, you're not getting one alive. Three days, three nights, no sleep. These soldiers kill seven 
Bigfoot and find the missing people. But the missing people aren't alive. The soldiers don't even make it out unscathed. They they have one casualty. One of their one of their team is snatched straight up into a tree, almost like it's the Predator movie. The men are taken back. They're debriefed. Normally during a debriefing, you're asked a ton of questions. How many shots did you fire? What angle did you fire them? What happened when, when the bullet made contact? Where were you standing? They need to have an absolute clear picture of what's going on. Not this debriefing, though. They are told, the past three days, you've been doing rigorous mountain training. And during that training period, you've lost a man. And the debriefing team then stands up and walks away. That's it. After three days, government agents come in, remove all seven corpses of Sasquatch, flies them out. I'm curious, though. What made these particular seven Bigfoot rampage? What made them go insane? Was it a lack of food? Was it anger? The Native Americans, they have, they have stories of of these Bigfoot-like creatures called the Stoneclads, the Janosqua, who were hunters of men. If you were lucky, the Janosqua would just rip your head off and kill you. But if you were particularly unlucky, you'd be taken back to their village underground, and the Janosqua would eat you alive. Let's play with this theory, though, for just a second. Assuming that Bigfoot, that Sasquatch, is a flesh and blood creature, and I'm not convinced that he is. I'm I'm convinced he may be spiritual, superdimensional, but if we go in the other direction, we assume that Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature which this story would seem to make him out to be. If he's a mammal, then he likely could get rabies. Is that what we saw here? Rabid Bigfoot. If they're flesh and blood... They have to be susceptible to the same injuries and sicknesses that we are. Now, I know there are some mammals that that don't catch rabies easily. Opossums, for example. Opossums. It's nearly impossible for an opossum to catch rabies. 
But humans, humans can catch rabies fairly easily. And if this thing is close to human, as it seems to be, it seems to be in the primate family. In North Carolina, I mean, it's not like they're in a place where where rabies doesn't exist. Is what we're dealing with seven rabid Bigfoot? It's just a theory. But it's one that I feel might give an insight as to what happened. Our next story is going to take us all the way back to January of 2000, Charmwood, Zimbabwe. There's a gentleman, Marco Batao. Now, Marco is walking back from the Chawarora shopping center, and he, he's taking this shortcut. It's a little-known shortcut. He's getting close to a river called the Hunyani River. Walking the path, and all of a sudden, he sees a white woman. She's sitting on this rock, just kind of taking in the sun. She's about half immersed in a pool of water. Now, the second thing Marco notices. I mean, the first thing is that this is a white woman in Zimbabwe. But the second thing that Marco notices is that the woman is naked. And then the weirdness starts. He had seen that her leg was drawn up on the rock. But as as he gets closer, he looks at this. That's not a leg. That's a fishtail. A scaled fishtail. Now this woman, she, she didn't notice him at first. And he, he wants to kind of grab her attention. He, he wants to talk to her. So he kind of makes a noise. He kind of kicks up a little bit of gravel whenever he's, he's getting closer. The woman doesn't even look back. She just dives into the water. What do you do after that? Like, if this was a TV show, that's where the scene would end. And the next thing, next the scene you see is, like, him talking to a friend or sitting in his house trying to process this. But what do you do? What do you do? There's the walk back. There's just standing there. What did I just see? And I imagine the same was for Marco. Marco is just, he can't get it out of his head. So a few days later, Marco decides I'm going to go back this same same path. And there she is again. 
the woman is there again. He's, he's kind of taking it all in. The woman has laundry laid out. This mermaid, this woman with the fishtail, I mean, what else would you call it? This mermaid has laundry laid out on stones. And some are draped in the bushes to dry. This mermaid is doing laundry. Let me say that again. This mermaid is doing laundry. He, he doesn't remember. Marco was kind of stunned at this. And let's, let's face it. It's an odd thing. Why would a mermaid need laundry? So Marco didn't really take a close look at that. He, he didn't see if it was clothing or just a few pieces of cloth. Marco decides, I'm going to sneak up this time. I'm going to get a closer view. But the woman becomes aware of him. And she looks at him and kind of gives him a look of like, not fear, not anger, but just the, ah, come on. You know, you know that look, uh, the roll of the eyes. And she disappears into the water. Once again, Marco, Marco can't get it out of his head. So the next week, Marco takes the shortcut home again. He reaches the pool by the river for the third time the mermaid is there this time though she's holding a baby in her arms they don't none of the none of the things that i found on this none of the stories that i found on this it doesn't say whether the the baby was a mermaid or if it was a human baby but she's giving a baby a bath. This, by the way, is from the November 2000 issue of Fate magazine. Marco, again, I cannot get over how brave Marco is. Marco tries to get closer. The mermaid hears him jumps into the water with the baby and as far as I know as far as I know Marco never saw the mermaid again there is no fourth encounter the the thing that fascinated me wasn't the mermaid aspect of this because mermaids are actually sighted not a lot, but a little bit. For example, in 1943 in the Kai Islands, Japanese soldiers during World War II saw what they called manfish. Uh, they were about 150 centimeters tall, spikes on the spine, shoulders, and neck. In 1967 on Maine Island, uh, tourists on a ferry saw a, a mermaid with blonde hair eating raw salmon. 
I mean, if you even want to stay in Zimbabwe in 2012, uh, some dam workers were trying to install a pump and the pumps got blocked. So the local workers and divers, they, they went down to see what was blocking these pipes. They went down, they came back up and they go, we're not going down again. There's the mermaid down there. So the government goes, uh, we don't believe you. We're going to send in new people. Those new people went down, went, we're not going down again. We saw a mermaid down there. One of the most humorous mermaid sightings I had ever heard of was the Re if, uh, in Papua New Guinea. The, they asked the natives, why didn't you tell us about the Re?" And the ma- natives, natives, they uh, they said, "Well, we didn't tell you that because we thought you knew about it. I mean, it's on on the sides of your cans of tuna, so you must have known about it." But getting back to what makes this fascinating for me is the clothing. The clothing. Laying out cloth. I mean, every single time he saw this mermaid, it was naked. So what would they be using clothing for? The only thing that I can think of, and if you can think of anything else, please uh, put a comment down in the YouTube section, uh, Leave me, leave me a comment at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. The only thing I can think of that it would be using cloth for is transportation of items. A sack. I mean, if, if that's the case, then it's using cloth. Why, why grab, why grab one one clam off the bottom of the lake whenever I can use this cloth and grab 20. But then, that also, if, if, if it's using cloth like that, then that means this is an intelligent creature capable of using tools. This may be a hidden civilization we don't know anything about. There's a whole world. And instead of looking for aliens out in space, maybe we should be looking under the waves. Our last tale takes us all the way back to 1957, Old Saybrook, Connecticut. Mary M. Starr is fast asleep. She's, she's a retired school teacher. She's fast asleep. And about two or three in the morning, a light comes through her window that is so bright, it wakes her up. Now Mary, confused, curious, 
She wonders what the heck's going on. She gets out of bed. She parts the curtains, looks out of her bedroom window. And that's whenever it hits her. Oh my God, an airplane has crashed in my backyard. But then her mind sort of shifts. It's not an airplane. It's some sort of object that's hovering right above her clothesline. You figure her clothesline is what? Five, six feet off the ground? But no, this is right above her clothesline. And that means it's really, really close to her house. So close that Mary can look through this craft's windows. Now this craft, it has large square windows. And she sees two entities pass by one another. Their right arms are in the air. Now these arms, they don't have any hands. It just ends in like a little nub. But that's not the oddest thing. The oddest thing, including looking out your window and seeing a craft floating and seeing creatures through the windows, the oddest thing was their heads. The heads of these entities were transparent cubes with bright red cores almost like picture picture a clear ice cube with a bright glowing led in it that wasn't the only thing odd about them i mean this whole situation's odd but their bodies were kind of rubbery they flared out like skirts no legs Kind of about four foot tall. She watched out the window. And then the windows on the craft, they vanish. Vanish without a trace. One end of the craft, a sparkling antenna, rise out. And then the entire hall begins to glow. And it stays glowing for minutes. For minutes. Like, let's just say, three minutes. Three minutes. That's a long time to watch a phenomenon like this. This is long enough to go, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. This is long enough to go, I am awake. I'm not dreaming. This is a long time. The glow fades. The antenna retracts. And then the object itself kind of like zigs, zags up, zags a little bit this way, that way, 
this way, over here, over there, and then shoots straight up. No sound. Now, despite this being a super odd, relatively obscure case, which are the cases I like to choose. I like to choose really strange, really odd, never heard before cases. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll go, go for one of the big ones like Roswell or something like that. But honestly, who here hasn't heard of Roswell? Who, who hasn't heard of the Patterson film? Who hasn't heard of the Jersey Devil? I tend to go for really odd stuff like this. But do you remember just an episode or two ago? We had Chris. We had Chris on. We had a guest. Lovely gentleman. A gentleman I believe. A gentleman I absolutely believe saw what he said that he saw. Please go back, listen to that episode again. The Djibouti incident. He said that he saw a slug-like creature get into the craft. Well, honestly, this would fit the case, wouldn't it? Four foot tall. Rubbery body, flaring out like skirt, no legs. That's a slug-like creature. Now, am I saying what Chris saw? get onto the craft was one of the one of these cube-headed creatures no no but what i am saying is there is precedence for seeing this type of creature the same way people see grays all the time people see nordics tall blondes tall whites it is not out of the question for people to see slug-like creatures. I absolutely believe Chris. I absolutely believe him. He seems very honest. He seems very, very honest. I, I don't think I'm being made a fool of. Either, either this guy saw what he said that he saw, or he deserves an Oscar. One of the two. One of the two. I was looking for certain tells. My wife, who who is who is studying psychology, my wife said, "Look for this facial movement. Look for look for him to say this keyword, this keyword, this keyword." Just just as an example, my wife said, "If he looks down and to the right, that's a tell that he may be lying to you. Not if he looks up and to the left, that's a tell." That he's telling the truth. I never said this to Chris. I never let on that I that I that I was looking for this, but Chris kept looking up and to the left. I believe him. I told him I believe him. After the interview was done, I did tell him that was one of the things I was looking for. I believe Chris saw what he saw. And I picked this story to show that there is precedence for slug-like creatures. It's real easy 
to shoot somebody down. It's real easy to look at somebody and say, you didn't see that, you're a liar. I don't believe, in my heart of hearts, in my soul, I don't believe Chris is lying. I believe him. And his story should be believed. Thank you for joining us once again here on Strange Pathways. Please head on over to the Facebook page. We're going to have a few images dealing with the stories and tales we had here today. Make sure to head on over to Instagram. We've got an Instagram page over there, Strange Pathways Podcast. TikTok, at Strange Pathways Podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with me, tell me a story. Tell me something that happened to you. Shoot a theory at me. StrangePathwaysMail at gmail.com. Be sure to click like, hit subscribe, ring that little bell, comment on our YouTube section, and you know you have a friend, a family member that would just love something super strange, like the stories we tell here today. Go over on forums, get the name out there. Anytime somebody suggests, hey, I, I need a new podcast to listen to, Tell them, hey, you know what? Strange Pathways may be what you're looking for. I'm willing to bet it is. I think I think this is a really beautiful thing we've got going here, and I think it's only going to get better with time. Thank you once again for joining us. Take care of yourselves and each other. Mm-hmm.